Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What a joy it is to be here this morning among the saints. It is an honor for me to be here. I've been so moved and touched by this congregation for a long time. Our time at Memphis School of Preaching, y'all have generously given and helped us in support. We can't thank you enough for that. Also, with all of the years that we've been here, and uh, not in this place, but in our home in Georgia, this congregation has been such a light to the brotherhood. And for that, I'm so thankful to hear such great lessons from all of the seminars that have been held here and the great preacher that's preaching here and his family, Glenn and Cindy. We're so thankful for him and all that he's done. But today I'm thankful that we're here because I've been wondering what it's like to be here. And I'm encouraged by your attendance this morning. Question. What would you say to those that you love Dearly, if you knew your time was at hand and it's, it's coming close to where you know that you're about to lose your life, what would you tell those that you care about the most? What would you do to those that you're trying to encourage in the faith? Paul, the apostle, knew what that was like. And we have Second Timothy today to read as he was writing to young Timothy, his son in the faith. Have you thought about the emotions that were going through his mind as he was penning and writing these words that were inspired? Have you thought to mind when he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, this climactic point, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, with all long suffering and teaching. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He told Timothy that these things were extremely important, especially in the time that was at hand. Can you imagine the tears that were falling from his eyes? Can you imagine the tears that were falling from Timothy's eyes as he was reading this letter and understanding the point that Paul's time was near. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But what an urgent message it was for Paul to give Timothy this thought. Exhort. Encourage. Some translations say. Beseech. Comfort. Desire. What does it mean to exhort someone? 
We can read this verse, but we need to understand what this means. Paul is telling Timothy to preach this and to do this. Is he only telling that to Timothy? Is it only required of preachers to exhort, to encourage, maybe from the pulpit? No. We all must exhort. It's all of our responsibility to encourage, to comfort, and to beseech, and and just to be there for each other. This exhortation that we look at this morning, as was read in our Scripture reading, to exhort one another, how often? Daily. Every single day. Hebrews 10 Verse 23, 24, and 25. I hope you have your Bibles with you and you open there with me this morning. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. The Hebrews author writes this letter. To those who are in Christ, but to those who are in Christ are thinking and wanting to go back to their old ways in Judaism. And this author is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Stand strong. As a matter of fact, in verse 23, Hebrews 10, the author writes, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And then in parentheses, For He is faithful that promised. Hold fast is the urgent message that the Hebrews author writes to the Christians. Much like Paul did for Timothy. What does it mean to hold fast? I love word pictures. I love to be able to understand what the original text means. And in my mind, I have to see it visually. So I got to thinking about what it is, what, what, what does it mean to hold fast? We say that and we, we may understand what that means, but have you thought about its origin? Hold, of course, to behold something and how we hold something fast. Is there a difference between holding something slow? That's not what we're reading here, is it? Hold fast means to hold down. So I thought about something that I know that if you don't hold on to something tight enough, what happens? It flies away. Imagine the young boy who has a a whole big bunch of helium balloons. His mother or father, they tie it around and make a knot so that whenever he, whatever he does, it's not going to fly away, right? But as soon as that knot is gone, as soon as that little boy lets go, what's happening? The balloons are gone. And you can watch it as it goes off into the sky until you can't see it any longer. The young boy is upset. But if he holds fast, he's going to hold it down. Now, if you hold it with one hand, what's going to happen? Have you ever tried to hold the balloon with one hand? It, it, it can happen. You can do it. But a lot of times you're going to see what? It's going to fly up one side or the other. But what if you just add one more hand? Is it going anywhere? It's not. Not unless you let go. But hold fast. The author is writing this to Christians who are struggling. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. That's what we are. So this morning as we understand that this, we, we must give this exhortation, the same exhortation that the Hebrews writer is telling, 
is the same one that we are to give. I'll prove it to you here in a moment. But this exhortation, this encouragement that we are to give each other must be intentional. It must be something that we've already thought about, we've purposed, and we put the plan to action. But yet it also must be continual. You can't just do it once and then say, okay, I'm good. It's something that you have to continue to do. The Hebrews author says, daily. And then third this morning, we will look at the motivation behind the exhortation that we as Christians, we as the family of God, that we get to give each other the motivation that we find within ourselves that we can give to those around, especially into those of faith. But when we do that, our light's going to shine so that others around can see and can come and hear. So, verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10, let's consider this word intentional. He writes, and let us, this is the, the third let us. The previous two have been said already. The, the second one was the one we said a moment ago about holding fast. Let us hold fast. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Brethren, let us consider the word consider. What does consider mean? You may want to highlight it in your Bible. and You may want to circle it. You may want to underline it. Because everything that we're about to read hinges on that word. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The author is telling the Christians... Let us consider. What does that word mean? To think down. To concentrate. To put your undivided attention. To have all of your attentiveness sold onto what it is that you're thinking about. We must consider who? One another. Let us consider. How are we going to hold fast? This is the answer. Consider one another to observe fully, to give attention to, to behold, to discover, or to perceive. In order to exhort one another, we must first look to and perceive what each other might need. Do you have needs this morning? Do you have needs this morning? Well, for us in the body of Christ, it's our great privilege to consider one another and to find out what it is that we can do to provoke unto love and good works. How then can we do this? If that's the case, then what do we do? How can we do it? Let us consider the first way, and that is with intentional prayer. People might say, well, is there anything I can do for you? Please pray. Well, that's the least I can do. No, it's not. Prayer is not the least thing you can do. Brethren, it is the greatest thing you can do. 
You are approaching the mighty God in heaven at his throne, bringing forth the name of someone that you love or care about or someone that you just met or a saint or a brother and sister in Christ that's struggling. When you pray for them fervently, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth. The power of God is in that prayer. Isn't that amazing? But we must be intentional about this prayer. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to be something that we slip up and accidentally do. It's something that we put our mind to. Let's consider Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let's see what it is that we're reading here. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says what? I'm praying for you. What are you praying, Paul? That ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is that specific for you? That's what Paul was preaching. That's what he was praying. He's writing this down to the church at Colossae and he's telling them, he just didn't say, I'm praying for you. He said, this is what I'm praying for you. Very specific. With intention. Did you catch that? Look to Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 18. The same thought applies here. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto him to you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's praying. He says, I'm praying for you that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I probably don't have to ask this question, but I think I know the answer. I'll ask it anyway. How would you feel if you got a phone call tomorrow morning from one of the elders, one of the ministers, one of the deacons, or just a member? Said, brother, sister, I just want you to know that I prayed for you this morning. And not only did I pray for you, but this is exactly what I prayed I prayed that you may be filled with the knowledge. I may, I prayed that you would have hope in what you are looking for today. I'm praying for you that you would be closer to God. How would you feel? That type of intention is important. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's anything here in this world that would lift me up, that would exhort me more than that. 
Wouldn't you think so? Prayer is powerful. And we have that opportunity to do so for each other. Exhort one another. Let us consider. Let us think about each other and say, what is it that my brother needs? What is it that my sister needs? You turn to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, and you, you understand Paul's concept of unity. It's putting each other first. It's preferring one another. That's the unity and the bond of peace that we read about in Scripture. We've th- thought about this intention for prayer. But there are some that need warning. Are there not? I'm sure as here in West Huntsville or in Memphis or in Atlanta, any of the places that have the body of the Lord's church that assemble together, there are those who need to be warned because of changes or choices that they've made in their life. And that intentional warning must come from you. Colossians 1.28, Paul writes to the church again at Colossae. He said, whom we preach, which is Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. When we warn our brethren, we, when we rebuke them or exhort them or encourage them as we've been talking about, or even just give them, a, 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 when you admonish them, it's important for them to see that you care about their soul and that the condition of their soul, where they are and where they're heading if they don't make a change. I submit to you that that's exhortation as well for us to see with each other. It must be intentional, but again, we can't just make an intent. We can't just intend to do something. We must what? Do it. The plan that you make must be put into action. Are you prepared to put your plan into action? I once knew a a youth minister that in his phone, this was in the days when the phones were flip up or slide up. You remember those? When you could put into a calendar and every single day he put a name of his youth group in his calendar and all day long that youth minister prayed for that soul in his group or in the congregation. Is that intentional? Yes, it is. Technology nowadays, we have our phones. All we have to do is go to our clock setting and we can, how many alarms can you set? You can set a whole bunch, especially for 5.35, 6 o'clock and 6.15. I'm the master at knowing how much time I have or how many more alarms I have to go. But you can put names and you can, you can put in the subject of your alarm, you can put someone's name or something specific that you want to pray about. And if you set that alarm every single day, what's going to happen? You're going to be reminded. Because if you're like me, you forget. But the reminder is powerful. Intention to action. Let's move on to how it must be continual. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I love this word provoke. Other translations may say stir up or to urge on. My family 
One of our favorite desserts is to make chocolate oatmeal cookies. They're really good. And by the time I'm finished with this illustration, you're probably going to be wanting not only some of those, but some milk to go with it. But let me explain this to you. When you take a stick of butter, a half a cup of sugar, I hope I get this right, and you melt that down with some Hershey's chocolate, don't taste it by itself, it's not good. But then a cup of sugar, and you let that boil, and you wait and stir it and keep stirring it and keep stirring it. It comes to a point to where it's hot enough that it starts to bubble up some. Now when it starts to bubble, you need to set a timer for two minutes and you need to stir. When I tell you you need to stir, you need to stir. You need to stir continually. And you stir that with that wooden spoon. Don't use a metal one because it will ruin your pots and pans. Husbands, don't do that to your wives. You need to continually stir and stir and stir vigorously until it's ready. If you stop stirring, guess what's going to happen? It's going to burn. If you stop stirring, it's going to burn. Illustrate it again. Wives, you have a, a frying pan of scrambled eggs. You hear someone crying in the other room. You go away for a moment and you're gone longer than you anticipated, and you come back, what do you have? Your eggs are burned. And not only that, you probably ruined your pan. See me for more recipes later if you'd like. What you need to understand is that we must continually stir one another on. We must provoke unto love and good works. How can we do that? How can I stir you up? How can you stir me up? Let us, let's think about this. This word that we hold in our hand, this is how we stir each other up. Again, imagine this tomorrow morning. Somebody calls you and says, you know, I was reading this morning. If you read Romans 12, 1 through 10, as I read this morning, brother, sister, I thought about you. Would you mind if I read it out loud to you? power of prayer, the power of God's Word. I'm sure there are many people here that write cards. That's encouragement. That's exhortation. That's stirring up. When Brother Glenn comes up to preach, he's stirring you. Anytime that you have a, a compliment, you're being stirred. You're being exhorted. You're, you're being admonished with the love and the life that you live. It must be constant. It must be continual. True communication, drawing near to God. Why, if we stop stirring, brethren, what's going to happen for each other? Burn. Why must we provoke? First Peter 5.8, you know it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Brethren, we need to be stirred. We need to stir each other up. Where can we do that? How can we do that? Every day. But specifically in this context, what's he speaking about? The assembly. The worship assembly. Or the gathering of the saints. Luke 22. Verse 22-31. Jesus talking to Peter. He says that the devil, he wishes to sift you as wheat. I don't have to, to sugarcoat this. Satan is after you. 
He's wanting to sift you as wheat. He wants to see what he can get by with and or what looks like it's fine. He's a, an angel of light. But he's, he's a roaring lion. He's coming to get you. Whether you're weak or strong, it doesn't matter. But brethren, if we exhort one another, if we stir each other up unto love and good works, he doesn't stand a chance. If we're continual, if we're intentional, if we have this type of action. Hebrews 9.24, let me give you the good news. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. But where? Into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Heaven is only is one moment closer than it was a moment ago. Doesn't that build you up? Doesn't that edify you and exhort you to encourage you to live your life for God? That's why we stir each other up. To remind each other that heaven is a moment away. Heaven is nearer than it was before. But then there's this, Revelation 21.8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We stir each other up because we don't want to see anybody go there. Let's go to heaven. Let's encourage each other on our journey there. Let's walk hand in hand. The word exhort is a Greek word that means call to one side. Call to one side. Let's walk together. I'm not going to get in front of you. I'm not going to get behind you. I'm going to walk beside you. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. Exhort. That's what the Hebrews author is telling us in the faith. The Christians, specifically those who were wanting to go back into Judaism. Hold fast. Consider one another. Unto provoke each other with love and good works because eternity is at hand. The motivation part is here next. The practical piece. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but, what does your Bible say? Exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. That leaves no one out. We're all included in that statement. Doesn't matter how old you are or who, what your job profession is. If you're a preacher or a, a mechanic, if you're a teacher, if you work in the plant, if you're in childcare, if you're a secretary, if you're a truck driver, we all work together. We exhort, we encourage, we beseech, brethren. Even though I don't know you personally, most of you, you are my motivation. You're my family in Christ. You're my motivation to be here. Why is it that we're here? Is it just so that we won't forsake? Or is it because we get to exhort? I suggest it's the latter. We're not neglecting the assembling. We are coming because we have a specific purpose to consider, to provoke, and to exhort 
all hinging on the consider. So let us consider the motivation that we have towards each other. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6. Listen carefully to this. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Here's our word. It takes the form of comfort here. Who comforteth us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our, i got to use the same hand, consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is your consolation and salvation. Brethren, that's nine times. There we go. Nine times that that word is used. I hope you can go back and underline all those words and connect them all because it's all exhortation. Why should we exhort? Because we have been exhorted. We've been comforted by God the Father. And so therefore, we must be a conduit to receive the mercy and then to to let it out. I joke about this sometimes, to be like a hose. Connected to the source and the water flows. Someone may come and kink it. That's the right word, right? Kink, kink the hose. But then what happens when you let go? It flows freely. Put a sprinkler system on the end of it. Everything that God is giving you is going out. That's life. That's living the Christian life. That's exhortation. That's the assembling that we have together. The exhortation. It's not an option, brethren. What you're hearing today is just not something that be like, okay, that's a good idea. Uh, Maybe I'll get around to that. It's vital. We're commanded by God Father. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're reading this morning. This is not an option. But it's something that we get to do. Something that we can smile and say, this is, this is who I am and this is my responsibility. And you're telling me that this is what I get to do? That's amazing. To exhort one another. First Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, the same word, exhortation, and edify one another, even as also ye do. We get to build each other up. We can build each other up with our words. Or what else can our words do? It can tear one another down. But let's build each other up. Let's exhort one another. I'm amazed at what I've seen here this morning, and I can only imagine the good works that are coming off through this congregation. Continue in them. Your eldership, they're relying on you to be the church. To comfort each other and to, to, to build each other up. And let's, let's make this congregation stronger than it was and stronger each and every day. You can do that. 
That can be who you are. Who needs exhortation? Do me a favor and look to the person to your left. Look at the person to your right. Take a mirror out and look at yourself. Look behind you, look in front of you. We have a job to do. Oh, what a joy it is to exhort one another in all that we have. I've had to ask myself these questions as considering this text and these points that I've brought forth this morning from the Word of God. I've had to ask myself these questions and I've had to give an honest answer. I'll ask you the same questions. Are you being intentional with your exhortation? Are you being continual? Are the people around you your motivation? Perhaps you're visiting this morning. Perhaps maybe it's the first time you've ever been here. And if so, oh, we're so glad you're here. And we hope we get a chance to talk with you and encourage you further in Bible study. If you have any questions, I'm sure everyone here would love to be able to talk with you and study with you further. But perhaps you're like that man that we read about in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. The eunuch who is coming from worship to Jerusalem. He couldn't even go into the gate to worship properly. He was there on the outside. He made that long trek. It was a long journey. He's coming back in his chariot. Remember the Holy Spirit talks to Philip and says, you see that chariot? Run. Run over there and meet that person and talk with him. Long story short, he goes there in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 through 39, and you can recall the account. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 to be specific. And Philip said, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? He said, how can I unless some man explain to me? Perhaps you're here today and you've got a Bible and you're hearing these things and you have questions. You can respond to this message this morning like all of us can. Because this eunuch, after Philip preached unto him Jesus, we know what that entails. We know that entailed hearing the gospel of Christ. Romans 10, 17, that's where faith comes from. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 3, 16. That's what God gave us, His gift. Mercy, grace in the form of Christ. Do you believe Him? But that's not all you must do. You must repent or you'll perish, Jesus said, Luke 13, 3. We must confess the sweet name of Jesus. As that eunuch did, when he came to water, Philip preached unto him Jesus, he saw water, he said, wait a minute. There's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, what? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, thou mayest. And he said, what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The good confession. He wasn't saved at that point, was he? 
He still had sin. He was still covered. This man was religious, but yet he was lost. He had good intention. He was a good person, but that is not what matters. The only thing that matters is that we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're here this morning and you've heard the gospel, you believe it, you want to change, you want to change your mind, you want to repent. You are willing to make that confession because you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ. You too can obey the gospel this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Romans 6, 1-3. You can be buried with Christ in baptism to be raised up, washed of your sins to walk in newness of life. You can't do that unless you are baptized into Christ. That's where we contact His blood. You're here this morning and you're visiting with us and that is what you want to look into. You can come forward. You can make that need known. But my brethren, If you're here this morning and you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking to yourself, it's not been intentional. Or it's been intentional, but I've never put it into action. It's not continual. And my motivation's been in the wrong place. If you need the prayers of the church, why not come? Why not come and let everyone know how much you care? God will forgive you and your brethren will forgive you right then and there. And the angels and God himself will rejoice. This is not my invitation. It's the Lord's. Will you come while we stand and sing? We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.